Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is a really exciting one. He's a game developer extraordinaire at Super Try Studios. He made Hack. He made Space Kings. Uh, he edits for Pretend Friends, Continue, and Goosebuds. Kevin Cole is here. Welcome, man. Hi, George. Thanks for having me on. I uh, understand when we started talking about the possibility of you coming on this show, that you're not you're not someone who's like constantly seeking out horror. It's not like your number one genre or anything. And so I'm curious if there was like a movie as a kid that kind of scared you off, or if it's just more generalized anxiety about being scared. <laughs> as, as a kid, I was a very anxious child, very concerned with death. Uh, <laughs> not not goth, just a wuss. <laughs> hey, I was I was a little cowardly child. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and this sort of com- and that was sort of combined with me not seeing a lot of movies. I am a I'm a I'm definitely a horror late bloomer. Yeah, <laughs> sort of sort of still in production, sort of still budding on the genre. <laughs> um, but I do I do like horror a lot. Like I I'm, I'm starting to watch through like the good ones. Like you know I, I saw Alien earlier this year. Nice, uh, loved it. It's classic. Um, it's classic, classic for a reason. Oh yeah, I love practical effects. I I, I love I love seeing how this stuff works, and I love wondering how it works and never seeing how it actually works. Yeah, but I'm I may be a little better studied in horror video games, um, p- particularly surrounding the PlayStation Two. Is there one that was uh, your favorite back then, or even still? What's your favorite uh, horror PS2 game? This is I we're mean, going we're going. This is the new podcast that I'm starting right now. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I no. know everyone's here for I, everyone's here for movies. And I don't be- care. I want to hear about <laughs> video games, right? Now. <laughs> um, well, it was uh, my family is uh, a little a little weird. Um, we we watched a lot of like non-standard family programming uh, as an as as a family. We watched all of Neon Genesis Evangelion as a family when wow. I was twelve. <laughs> It has its body horror and existential sure, horror moments. Sure, definitely it does. But one thing we all gathered around to watch my dad play was Fatal Frame for the PlayStation 2, which I consider to be like a, a, an excellent, excellent entry into the the horror game genre. I love I love Silent Hill 2. Uh, I love Resident Evil 4. I love a lot of Resident Evil games, but fa- the Fatal Frame series just like got that creepy disempowerment thing yeah. so right it tr- it went for something with like the you can run out of film thing <laughs> that didn't really pan out but have you have you seen the fatal frame movie i have not seen the fatal frame movie. wow well maybe maybe that'll be the next one you'll have to come back on and that will sure. be your new favorite <laughs> i i i feel like i i really maybe should apologize for picking slither which is not to like jump right into that. That's just just a little teaser for how I feel about Slither. I, I rewatched it this morning, and I was like, "I'm okay with everything that's happening here, but I'm, my socks are still on." Hey, and see, this is the thing that I think is interesting about Slither. I'll, I'll kind of jump ahead too, and yeah. uh, I, I think that when James Gunn told mm-hmm. Nathan Fillion about the tone, and he said that it's not a comedy. But it is a funny movie. Mm-hmm. I think that 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 is true, and also works to the movie's both benefit and detriment. 
because it never leans hard enough on the comedy stuff that no. maybe uh, the jokes feel as in place as they should. Yeah, it... it- it, it, it's almost like the, the slapstickiness of how gory everything is. That's that's the high point for me is like it gets it gets like gooey. Yeah. And that's fun. But I, I think with the cat with a cast this good, mm-hmm. it's weird that there aren't many likable characters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that definitely feels like Gun though. It's you know, so much of his writing work the Dawn of the Dead remake comes to mind and his own work with trauma and everything. Mm-hmm. Even uh, even Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, they, as Peter uh, Serafinowicz says, what a bunch of a-holes. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, and I mean, I guess Guardians of the Galaxy would be my other film, the other film by Gunn that I am more studied in. Mm-hmm. And I, I, think, I think that's Gunn's, like, cynical asshole characters at their best, mm-hmm. where they have each other and it's their bond that we really enjoy even if they're kind of dickheads right in in this one like i i guess our hero bill although i'd say starla is more the hero right. of this one she does all the brave shit so <laughs> uh bill is like kind of from the creepo depot he's a bit of a stalkery <laughs> kind of guy and he's a cop so that doesn't really yeah. go well for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a, a different time to be sure yeah 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 <laughs> Um, before we get too far into this movie, I did want to know, especially since you are sort of new to exploring horror and you have so much to choose from now, you know, mm-hmm. that we've never had such a bounty as we do right now. <laughs> and so I'm curious if in your exploration, there's a subgenre that you are able to connect more with that really helps you to be like, all right, this is something that I'm into versus some, like, you know, not everyone is into ghosts and that sort of thing. I I think sci-fi is probably the horror subgenre that I enjoy very much, whether it's meteorite landing <laughs> in a small town or something maybe more on the Lovecraftian side. Uh, I almost picked The Color Out of Space with Nick oh, Cage. I love it. That's a really... um. Spoiler alert for the end of the year. That is currently my uh, third favorite movie of the year. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I really hovered over it with uh, with Slither. Like I, I can draw so many threads to things I know better. Yeah, with, with Slither, like it's got because it's just sort of like the weird nexus of a lot of horror tropes. It's like James Gunn just picking the things that he likes <laughs> and doing them as as much as he can do them. Yeah, he's he's putting his own spin on the things that he just enjoys, which is honestly pretty admirable to me. <laughs> like the fact that he's just like this is this is the stuff I like. I'm going to make this movie that draws on these influences and add a little of that gun gun flare. Yeah. And uh, uh that's I'll be damned if that's not what he did for better or worse. That's what this movie is. Yeah, I don't I, I, I don't think like uh again, I don't think this movie is bad. I just think it's a little boilerplate. Well start thinking now, because at the end you're gonna have to defend it as the best horror movie ever made. <laughs> um, the gears are turning. <laughs> well well this is the beauty is we'll talk it out together. We'll find together why this is the best horror movie yeah. ever made. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh sci fi as as the as my horror subgenre of choice, I guess like my exploration of horror came like maybe started maybe about a decade ago yeah uh when i got 
back into X-Files. That'll do it. <laughs> yeah. And just being like, man, what if these were longer and had maybe, maybe occasionally slightly higher budgets? <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> Imagine, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that that's really interesting. It definitely speaks to what you've already said, just in terms of like, sci-fi horror is definitely the kind that lends itself to getting gooey and to having like big fun practical costumes and and all that sort of stuff so those aspects that you already mentioned enjoying are definitely on on display in that subgenre so it makes a lot of sense oh yeah there's just an awesome shot in uh slither where the the girl in the tub grabs the hair curler and Mm. like slams it down on the on the slug and it like starts writhing and it breaks like a jelly donut and it's just great (laughs) it is great oh man that's a that is a fun scene and the stuff that comes before it like the immediately before it is is really good too but uh yeah let's just get into it we're talking about 2006's slither written and directed by james gunn and filmed in vancouver so yet another canadian classic we're talking a lot of canada on this podcast (laughs) so yeah who uh who knows maybe there's something in the water up there but we have talked about james gunn before as a writer on our dawn of the dead remake episode but this is his feature debut as a director and he is working with people who will become fixtures in his work like elizabeth banks who is in his segment of movie 43 which we don't need to talk about and uh he's in uh, she's in Brightburn, which he produced. Nathan Fillion is in Guardians of the Galaxy, and Michael Rooker is in Brightburn and Guardians and Guardians 2 and Super to boot. So yep. he's uh he's really the 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 MVP for Gun. But <laughs> God, he he puts in good work in this one too. He does. He does. I, I think that um he gets sort of the juiciest role <laughs> to really sink his teeth into. Pun sort of intended. I mean, he doesn't oh, Yeah. That uh that ending prosthetic where his like where where his teeth go all the oh. way up his cheek that is good stuff. Oh yeah, and I think it's it's great that Gunn is so clearly a passionate horror fan because he knows what people are looking for. I think that that what what you're calling boilerplate I think is boilerplate because that's so much of what people are like looking for you know there's so much of the horror tropes that people are disappointed if they don't see it and. You know, in a, in a movie like this where there is so much homage being paid to so many others, he's pulling in these tropes, and it does – it feels like something you've seen a thousand times before, mm-hmm. but also there's a, an element of that feeling like a security blanket almost where you're like, I know exactly how this is going to shake out from basically the minute yeah. that the movie starts. This is his uh, directorial debut, right? This is yep. his first one he directed. I can kind of see, you know – why you would go for an homage for your first piece because there's a saying imitate then innovate right when i first started making games i i started with this big enormous multi-year-long project that uh, i thought was going to be my opus and it was it it, it, it was fine but <laughs> I, I learned a lot making it sure and i think if i had maybe like just kind of tried to hit the beats of people who had gone before me and like kind of stuck to my guns. I would have probably learned even more and made a better game. Right. But like thinking about this as his directorial debut, I can kind of like, I can kind of like look through James Gunn's eyes at this and be like, okay, I want to hit these, like I want to hit these themes. I want to, I want to have like these prosthetics. I want to, you know, I want to have these people. Right. These archetypes are going to be the ones that uh, we're going to be playing with here and, and all that jazz. And and the result is kind of a patchy movie where there are these brilliant moments, like about 
30 minutes in, the movie really starts. Yeah. Uh, which I, I suppose is sort of, that's the genre. That's horror movies, right? Like big, big yeah. intro. And then <laughs> it's unique enough when something kicks off right away that like mm. people take note. <laughs> They're yeah. like, oh, this is interesting because things are happening right away. And this definitely does take its time. They are really letting you kind of like soak in it. And mm. the fact that you know where this is all going to come out. I mean, the first thing we see is the meteorite landing. Yep. And so it's like that uh, that saying, I think it was Hitchcock, where he talks about how if you have a bunch of people sitting around a table and then all of a sudden a bomb goes off, you've got my attention. Yeah. But if you show a scene, if you show a, a shot of the bomb underneath the table, and then you have the the scene of them talking, um, the whole scene becomes this this tension building moment or this tension building uh, vehicle. And I think that that's sort of what he's going for with this. Oh, uh, totally. of, you know, you see the meteorite, it crashes, and then we get thirty minutes of like, what the hell's going on with that meteorite? We get we get thirty minutes of like a surprisingly diverse small midwestern <laughs> town. Like, I like that he didn't go like totally redneck white for for the extras in the town. Like, yeah, it it makes it so much more interesting to see like other faces in there and that's cool i wish like we had more like diverse faces in the main cast but apparently like that casting was like right up to the wire like nathan fillion was like a week before certainly it would have been nicer to have uh, a more diverse cast overall but the fact that there is at least some diversity in uh, the movie period is uh nice to in 2006 nice to see like (laughs) nice to see an effort there's a lot there's a lot in this that you know you know it kind of rides the line for me as far as like uh you know does this hold up nowadays like there's a there's like a big like rapey like double dick rapey scene yeah it's also i mean that's that's so the bread and butter of trauma is is their anti-pc uh, you know, th- I mean, that that's their whole thing. And, you know, there's an element of when you go to see a trauma movie, you know what you're getting in for. Right. Like, earlier this year, I watched the new uh, Shakespeare Shitstorm movie that they had out, which is actually a follow-up to James Gunn's Tromeo and Juliet. This is... Um, right. Um, it's the one where it's like the, the big... Um, the big storm is landing and oh the the tempest yes yeah there i can't believe i couldn't fucking pull the tempest when i was like it's the big storm <laughs> i i was a i was a big drama nerd in Hell yeah. uh, high school and college so i'm like oh i do know some shakespeare's <laughs> perfect hey it was the tempest i i liked it a lot but there's also you know those on pc jokes where you're like yeah. this is what they're doing they push the boundaries on purpose they're they're doing it to get a reaction out of people and certainly i think that that influence has trickled down to james gunn maybe not quite as much as uh, the people who are still in the trauma stable but yeah. you know he certainly has that sort of edgy sense of humor a lot of the time that hasn't always aged perfectly yeah there, it's it's a it's a very like if i'm thinking about myself in 2006 as a teenager yeah. like it's very much like divided between wanting to be edgy and funny and maybe you also have like a like empathy or a conscience because there's, sure. there's a guy with a there's a guy with a cleft palate in the town mm. and one of the deputies makes a joke about it and then fillion like fires back at him like instantly yeah so it's sort of like well okay we didn't have to 
dunk on the dude, but we also dunked on the dude dunking on the dude. Right. Is that progress? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. The people who are cruel in the movie are certainly not portrayed as the heroes. Right. Yeah. They are though that group of that group of scrappy small town cops are pretty fun when they're putting squids on the board. Yeah. And 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 I'm like, you know, that is really like uh, James Gunn's opinion of the of the human race that I can get behind, which is after three days, everyone's bored of it. Like, <laughs> it's true. The beautiful thing about human beings is we can witness a giant tentacle armed man be freaked out, and then a couple days later be like, oh man, tentacle guy's back. <laughs> He's eating cows. Oh, wow. All right. I guess we're heading out again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so in addition to packing in all of these references to the films that he loved before, in terms of the way that the movie is actually made and shot and and plays out, he also packs in references. I mean, this has the R.J. McCready funeral home, which is Kurt Russell's character in The Thing, another movie about a terrorizing alien that comes to Earth. There's a bunch of other names that are nods to horror icons, like Earl Bassett High from Tremors, Max Wren Guns and Ammo from Videodrome, uh, the Castavet Farm from Rosemary's Baby, and Henenlotter Saddle Lodge, which special shout out to Frank Henenlotter from The Best Little Horror House in Philly, because I love that guy. (laughs) And this film got kind of shit on a little bit when the trailer was shown because people were like it's ripping off uh, uh, I forget the name but it's ripping off another uh, horror movie where slugs enter people Night in of the Creeps I believe Night of the Creeps James Gunn's response was you could pick any horror movie and say I'm <laughs> ripping it off like the idea is this is homage like yeah this, definitely this is... uh, I think um, so we've kind of talked about James Gunn's sense of humor already, mm-hmm. but I think that that is really what sets him apart and also makes me question some of the trivia that I read about this movie <laughs> where mm-hmm. there, there was stuff like Michael Rooker broke his glasses doing Kung Fu moves by himself. Uh, the barn is on property owned by monks who love the matrix. And I was like, well, first of all, they're right to, because the matrix kicks ass, but yeah. is that, true it feels just on the edge of possible <laughs> yeah, is the, there needs to be like a citation yeah. feature on imdb <laughs> just like there is on wikipedia although even that wouldn't be bulletproof right but i want to believe yeah. that those monks love the matrix <laughs> and for some reason they're like we love the matrix therefore welcome james please shoot a horror they, a goopy horror movie on our property they thought he was keanu reeves <laughs> Um, Make the mistake all the time. Yeah, I mean, hey, they're basically one and the same. (laughs) Unfortunately, Slither didn't quite make its budget back. The budget was $15 million. It came in at around $12.5 after opening on the last day of March in 2006 in just under 2,000 theaters. I think that this is a really interesting time for horror. And I think that the context will also help to explain why it didn't succeed in that it's not quite a zombie movie, but there is that, like, infected horde element of it. And a lot of people did compare it to zombie movies, which had... By 2006, already peaked and sort of was on the downward trend. You know, Shaun of the Dead was already two years prior. Um, Mm. Day After Tomorrow, not Day After Tomorrow, (laughs) Um, 28 Days Later was two years uh, before that. But right before Slither was the Dawn of the Dead remake. So, you know, there was already these huge zombie properties and more and more imitators were coming out every month. And so this sort of came into a saturated market. And although the slugs did help to differentiate it a little bit, it, like I said, was still 
being compared to those zombie movies. And also, this was the beginning of the like torture subgenre's dominance. Saw Mm 2 and Hostel came out this year. Saw had come out just the year before. You know, it's kind of easy to see how this movie could fade into the background in this situation. It got it got three times the budget basically of uh of Shaun of the Dead. <laughs> and it released two years after it. So Shaun of the Dead was two thousand four. Yeah. And I, I I think anyone who watches these two movies can like not to keep shitting on this movie I chose, <laughs> but I, I think I think you can look at Shaun of the Dead and be like, oh, it's a horror comedy movie with zombies in it. This is a I, I guess like Shaun of the Dead's comedy horror and and this is horror comedy. Yeah, and it's an interesting difference, but it is it is a fine difference there. I think I think if there is a, a contribution James Gunn made to the zombie genre, maybe he's picking this up from somewhere else again. I'm I'm a student here, but uh, I I think a horde of zombies that all know your name and are chanting it as one is a uniquely terrifying thing. Yeah. Especially in the social media age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. I mean, it's it is pretty unique because he does differentiate them from regular zombies and that they are able to talk. It has that sort of hive mind element. It it definitely separates itself from zombies in that way. And I mean, the reception was mixed, but leaned positive. So people who saw it liked it, especially genre fans who were able to sort of connect with the loving references and homages and everything. Um, It may not surprise you to hear that best little horror house in Philly villain, Roger Ebert, gave this movie a thumbs down. (laughs) Two thumbs down. They they hated it. Yeah, they both both didn't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But man, at least Roper gets it right sometimes man <laughs> ebert <laughs> that guy just hates horror um but he hates video games too so i'm with you <laughs> ebert <laughs> got him finally got him <laughs> yeah all it took was several years after his passing <laughs> revenge was ours but it's it since gained even more affection it's become a bit of a cult favorite thanks in part not only to being, a, like we say, a tribute to these low-budget, schlocky movies, but also coming from someone who has actually been there doing it. So it sort of adds that extra element of being able to execute the tributes in a way that feels satisfying to people who are looking for that sort of tone. I think I think more cultural context for me was, I remember um, this came out, I think it would be the year after Serenity dropped. Uh, and, sounds right. And... It, Serenity was a very final uh, send-off for Firefly, right. which back in the good old Udi's could do no wrong with any nerd. There was nothing problematic about Firefly because <laughs> didn't have that word yet. <laughs> and uh, it, uh, you know, I was obsessed with Firefly and I was like, and I was so bummed with how brutal and final Serenity was that when I saw Nathan Fillion was in a new thing, I was like, well, I'm a big scaredy cat and I don't like horror, but maybe I'll go, maybe this I'll is go the see one. Slither. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'll just go see Slither for Nathan Fillion. And I never did. Wow. But the thought was there, Nathan. <laughs> the thought was there. If you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what a, what a waste of Nathan Fillion. <laughs> I'm sorry I keep shitting on this movie, but you could like you could have had Nathan Fillion be so much more engaging in this movie, and he's just kind of a brick. He is the straight man 
kind of yeah. in this movie because he's reacting to the big fleshy monster the whole time. And yeah. so even though he is he has some quips and stuff and I mean there are there are funny lines that he gets to deliver, but sure. you know, it's certainly not Fillion at his filliest if you will. No, no, like, I mean, you get, you get some good, you get, he gets like tossed around a bit and he gets, he gets a torso full of, uh, <laughs> alien goo at yeah. the end, which is so gross and so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my favorite, my favorite moment is with, uh, Chekhov's grenade that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that we're like, oh, they're going to blow him up with the grenade. And then it goes into the water. That's such, that's so good. Yeah. That's like, Great subversion. Uh, I mean, that's they've been setting up that grenade not just since they've been like, oh, we have this alien, but yeah. even before that, when they're like, oh yeah, one of the guys was trying to fish with this grenade. Should we bring it? And he's like, no, leave it here. And so when it pays off, that they're like, we got to go get the grenade. You're like, oh, payoff. And then the <laughs> the fact that they they use all that goodwill, and then they're like, just kidding. <laughs> like, it's great. It's so good. I love that. I think that that's um, a really fun moment. It's fantastic because it forces our two leads to work together. Like, the three survivors really, if one of them was missing, it, they would all be dead. Like, right. I, I really like that little trifecta of protagonists. Uh, I And I like that Elizabeth Banks gets to, like, stab a dude in the head, in the yeah. head with a wrought iron bar. And she gets to intense, shoot... <laughs> She gets to shoot a, a propane tank like <laughs> ten feet away from her with a handgun. Yeah, to to make the most like PlayStation One ass explosion happen. <laughs> um, yes, I agree. I think that it also works really well because we, as an audience, are so taken aback by that moment because we've already we've seen the setup happen and the payoff happen, and we are so sure that mm-hmm. that's the way that this is going to end. That for those last couple minutes where we're guessing, you know, that's James Gunn's time to play. You know, that's when yeah. he really gets to be like, all right, now I'm going to have fun. I'm going to shake things up. I'm going to take you by surprise here. And I think that that's uh, really great. I think that it's only by knowing the tropes and mm. being able to utilize them effectively that you're able to really subvert them. If, if like, I was seeing this and I didn't know what James Gunn would go on to do. Uh, not that he's my favorite like director or anything like that. I, I think he's pretty good. I like the Guardian series a lot. But if I just saw this and, I, and it was presented to me as like, this is a fan movie... Uh, I would be like, wow, these guys get it. Like they absolutely, they, I can, I can feel the love. Like they yeah. know everything about this. And I, th- I think I can, I think I can kind of do that now. Like I can actually feel the love that he has for horror movies. And in, in some spots, it, like it kind of crosses the line over into like, he likes him. So like just hearing him talk about it, uh, talk about making this movie. Like he's almost kind of complaining a lot, which is like <laughs> he he respects horror and he loves it so much that he's kind of frustrated at some at some of the stuff he had to do. Like he was not a huge fan of some of the CG effects. Yeah, uh, in there. And to be fair, some of them are a little uh, not so great. Sure, as 2006 CGI is wont to be. <laughs> the the practical effects are awesome though. They're so they good. They really um, are. And I understand why you can't go full practical, but there there are a few scenes where the CG is really not too bad. Like there's one with the 
with the Grant with the with the Grant Squid just like slithering away into the woods. Yeah, and he's moving like lightning, and yeah. I'm like, that is unsettling. Like that, I would shit my pants. Like that is crazy, <laughs> especially because they when they do have these more effective moments of CGI, it's because they're one relatively brief. He is moving really quickly, as you say, yeah. but also. Yeah. It's used as a counter to the practical effects, you know. Yeah. We'll get to the scene later, but when he first is slowly moving into the field, it's a puppet that is yep. being manipulated by a bunch of puppeteers who they were then digitally yep. taken out. But you have like he establishes it as a practical prop in your mind and then uses the CGI to counter that and uh, and take you by surprise because you're not expecting something that bulky that you've seen to be able to move that way. Yeah. And, you know, he really understood when to use the CGI and when to use the practical. Like, I think he made the right calls. It's just maybe he didn't have the budget or the studios that he wanted. Right. But, like, you know, he's, he's like, always in close on these practical effects, showing you every little detail. But, like... You can't have the giant Grant puppet like Muppet off of the screen. <laughs> so what if it did what though? What if it did the Kermit and just? <laughs> <laughs> I bet I bet there are so many good uh, like bloopers in this. Oh like, yeah, there have there have to be. I'm sure. Uh, it's, I mean, Rooker's a funny guy. Banks is yeah. a comedy icon. Fillion's yeah. a comedy icon as well. Uh, yeah, Bank, uh, Elizabeth Banks on Scrubs has like some of the funniest lines. She rules. The show. I love Elizabeth yeah, she's, Banks. She's awesome, <laughs> and she's awesome in this. Like, I really do like her character. I like, I like that she's you know got a little like she's meant to be this homage to, uh, like she's dressed up like the 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 damsel in King Kong most of the time. Yeah, and but like. She, you know, she actually gets to get her hands dirty. She's clever, you know. Uh, yeah. And, and I like that, you know, I like the weird gray line between her and Grant, where it's like, is this, a, uh, before the squid thing happens, is this a good marriage? Like, yeah. it seems like one that had a rocky start and now it's gotten rockier. Yeah, there's, but, there's some implications that, like, she did it for survival, and yeah. that, like, she had no real other choice. You know, someone calls her a gold digger, but that's sort of pushed back on as well. It, it is, it's an interesting relationship, and it feels like there is something there, especially, you know, when you consider that this being has been around for as long as it has, and that this emotional core is the thing that managed to pierce through. And I'll talk about it as we go through the plot, but one of the things that really sticks out to me is I think that a lot of the moments of emotion actually do work for me sometimes yeah. more than the horror parts i think that the when they ask you to feel sad for grant i mm. do a lot of the time yeah like i guess like there's a word of god thing where like you know grant died when the when the when the little like squid thingy entered his chest yeah and like it's just sort of it, the only thing that lasted was Grant's love. Yeah, <laughs> you know he goes he goes out and doesn't cheat on his wife, which I guess we can give him so good, good job. job. Grant. <laughs> you, you didn't cheat on your wife. The you bare minimum. Gold star, yeah, <laughs> gold star in two thousand six. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's um. Most of all, I'm struggling with what is this movie 
saying. Yeah. And I don't think it's really trying to say anything. I think it's trying to follow beats, and I think it's trying to have a few themes. Like, it wants to look at how uh, uncomfortable sex and power dynamics can be. Yeah. But it doesn't really want to... But it, but it just kind of wants to use that. It doesn't say anything about it. It's just like... It just says, look at it. Like, it. It asks you to form your own opinion by, I think, just... It's, it's weird in that there is that element of people sometimes expect documentarians to, to like, just put the image on the screen and not yeah. it, not allow any of your own personal bias into it. And this almost sort of feels like that, where you and I are uncomfortable watching these moments of their dynamic because we haven't we understand that it's bad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like you say, it's in 2006, and a lot of people still act that way today even not to mm-hmm. 2006 is not so insanely far away that people shouldn't no. have known but unfortunately it just wasn't in the cultural lexicon quite as much yeah uh, it's um we, we kind of expect i think a little bit more out of our media these days like yeah. we want we want it to have a message we want it to say something about what's happening now and we're we're not so we're not so caught up with making like things that are going to be relevant throughout time. I think we were more caught up in that in 2006, like doing homages, re- rekindling ideas and stuff like that. Yeah. We, I think what like I crave and I think what a lot of people crave in media is something to tell us what the fuck is going <laughs> on. <laughs> Cause right now everything is so wild and confusing and startling it's like i wish someone and i know like the good art about this this time period isn't going to happen until like 10 years down the line or something like that yeah. but right now like i'm just looking for some piece of art to like be like this is what you're feeling this is the this is the crystallized thing of what's what's happening right and it sucks and now you understand it because right. i'm not going to be able to dig into like the depths of how much 2020 sucks until you know sure much, you're, much you're we're still experiencing it there's no way to unpack it because it's still still in the middle of happening so yeah. i mean Shaun of the dead is about growing up and and how and like how awkward that can be and how sometimes that means leaving your friends behind like mm-hmm. it's not a universal message but he is saying something with it right he did look at the story he was telling and he was like okay i think we're moving in this direction and then he just was like okay at the end it is about friendship but it's also about moving on all right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back to the show. Ooh, this is the ghost of George, and it's getting to be the spooky season. However you're getting your scares in, they go better with Tuckins, the all-in-one inside-out s'more. Each Tuckin has crunchy handmade graham cracker covered in decadent chocolate, all tucked inside a fluffy marshmallow. And the best part is, because they're self-contained, you can roast them anywhere around a fire pit while you're telling ghost stories or even just over the stove for a sweet movie treat alternative to popcorn. Uh, they also come in multiple flavors, and while you can't go wrong with classic, I gotta say that I'm a cookies and cream guy personally. Plus, it's a local company owned by two previous guests on this very show. And since they like the show so much, they're giving listeners a 15% discount if you use the offer code BEST15 at tuckins.com. That's BEST15 at T-U-C-K-I-N-S.com for 15% off. So don't wind up with a bag of stale mallows in the back of your pantry. Check out Tuckins today. And now, back to the show. So, as far as the actual plot of the movie, it starts out two cops one of them is bill party as played by nathan fillion yep. um they're sitting in their patrol car having this just like just the dullest 
conversation. I love a bird. Yeah, I honestly love this where they're talking about like usually I can tell how fast things are moving within one yeah. or two miles of their actual speed. I like the idea of sitting through that conversation <laughs> makes me want to die. And you just see Nathan Philly in there miserable. Yes. He's <laughs> He's got he's got like the hat over his head. He's trying to he's just trying to will himself unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a mood. I've been there. Yeah. I've been in that I've been in that cop car with Nathan Fillion. <laughs> um yeah, and behind them a meteorite crashes to earth and we see that this is the town of Wheelsey, South Carolina. We get some Evil Dead-esque camera movement to go check out the meteorite, and we see it crack open with something inside, and you get the title sequence. I like, it's nice and simple, you establish yep. the tone up top, gets the job done. I respect Good the hell out of this opening, yeah. <laughs> hell of a font. Yeah, and um, we, we pass through Main Street, and we get a feel for the town as we do this. There's a lot of Confederate flags, uh, seems yep. a little run down and economically depressed, you know, there is yep. sort of that dying town element that Romero himself really liked to play with uh, as well that this sort of like purgatory of the town not being willing to acknowledge that it's sort of on its last legs and everything this just sort of has that feeling to it yeah I think it's a great setting for this since he's really concerned with like the horror of power dynamics in this one where there's an alien species more powerful than the human species there's uh, a suburb more powerful than a main street. There's uh, a husband more powerful than a wife. Like there are all these like really everyday sort of t- ties back to the the core horror concept of something is bigger than you and you are inextricably tied to it and you have no say. Yeah. Uh, I think that it also, this is, they lead right into this. They, they're not mm-hmm. pussyfooting around because we see Starla Grant, played by Elizabeth Banks, teaching a lesson about survival of the fittest and how that doesn't necessarily mean being the biggest or the strongest, but just being more suited to an environment. And obviously they're like, keep this in mind. Yeah. <laughs> kind of, this is the theme, everyone. <laughs> they also have like some kids like, drawing elizabeth banks with her with her tits out yeah as if we need context that elizabeth banks is hot like (laughs) Uh, so it's after school and she's talking to hank the environmental sciences teacher which is a cameo by james gunn before she gets uh, yeah (laughs) i didn't know that sorry he just uh he just like stuck himself in there which is also i mean a lot of horror directors do that hitchcock Shyamalan. sure um, sure. so, I, I, I believe he's a dopey teacher. That yeah, I, I yeah. That and he's got that big, like, poofy hair that uh, it works <laughs> as this yeah. sort of frazzled teacher. But she's whisked away by her husband Grant Grant, which is Michael Rooker, <laughs> which is great. And it, it's it's also like, is that her dad? Like yeah. the, the age difference and the height difference. It's is intense. Kind of interesting. It's it's yeah. intense, and it. He's clearly very, like, possessive and jealous, and it does have that sort of, like, it doesn't feel like a relationship because they don't feel like they're on equal footing. It feels Mm. like it's a a much more, like, paternal relationship that they have just based on the way that he approaches her and whisks her away like that, for sure. Yeah. And uh, across the street, we have uh, Nathan Fillion forming the other leg of this love triangle. Just, you know, being a cop, spying on a woman. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like cops you know. do. 
unfortunately truthful. Um, (laughs) Kicking a child playfully, but still. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and he's he's just standing over there gossiping about Grant and Starla's relationship, and that's when we we find out that maybe she isn't really in love and that she married out of necessity. And this also leads in to uh, him getting turned down for sex that evening. Which he right. is uh, upset about, to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah, he goes. He goes for a walk to a bar where he meets. Um, shit, I forgot her name. Brenda, I believe. Brenda, is. right? Her initials are BM. Yeah, she like like it. a little shit. <laughs> like a little shit. Yeah, I like. I lo- I love how they're like. Listen, this dude's just gonna nag. He's that's his. That's his. Move. That's his approach. Like, yeah. <laughs> She gives as good as, he, as she gets, though, because she he's like, Grant, Grant, you got two names, dumbass. Two yeah. first names. <laughs> and with, you know, there, not, there aren't a ton of characters that you really need to keep track of in, in, in this movie. But the fact that one character, his first name is Grant and the second name is Grant, I remember that. And I didn't even have yeah. to write it down. <laughs> this, I think, also is another interesting examination of that sort of power dynamic theme that they're talking about because so she approaches him at the bar where just the worst karaoke is happening (laughs) the saddest worst karaoke (laughs) is is currently occurring and i love that i love very i love the tone it sets yeah it's just him sitting at a small table in an empty bar with like four people on like the worst drunkest leg of their bachelorette party <laughs> yeah. are performing bad karaoke. It's, it's great. It's, All the musical choices in this are great. It really is. And she reveals that she is Michael Rooker's ex's younger sister. And she talks about how she always had a crush on him and mm-hmm. you know, she he she couldn't understand why he was with her sister and he was like you were like 10. And she was like, "Oh, it doesn't like I was still I was still up for it." And again, it, it's like this is such a weird dynamic of like there's that relationship of like the sibling rivalry, and you know, is that playing into why she's interested in him at all? And that's such a young age to be there's, uh, sexually active, and um, there, there's no there's no like uncomplicated sex in horror movies, right? Like, to be sure to be absolutely (laughs) sure yeah so basically this is just another weird relationship for grant and they drunkenly stumble away and uh they're gonna it seems like they're gonna have sex and there's some kissing in the woods but he does turn her down sort of thinking of starla and you almost wonder if maybe the reason that the the love is what affects the alien so much is because it was so top of mind for Michael Rooker's character Grant here when yeah. he uh, gets taken over. So Be- because you're almost like you like I was sure that he was going to just have sex in the woods and then it would be a classic horror movie thing of after the bad sex happens sure. the monster shows up. The penalty, like, the penalty for the, having sex is death. Yeah, yeah. And I I was so sure that was going to happen. But then when he turns her down it was such a nice sort of inversion of that trope. It still doesn't make him any better as a husband or a character. It's just a little, huh. Refreshing. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, huh. Okay. Yeah. He, he, he does, he does love his wife and he's 
you know, he has the sense of clarity enough to be like, this is maybe not a great idea. <laughs> yeah. And also, I think, again, sort of you, same thing as the grenade, where we sort of have this idea of him as this cardboard cutout character. And then mm. this is just a dimension that adds a little bit of three dimensionality to him. You know, he's not exactly the person that we thought he was. And so, right. you know, maybe there are other undiscovered depths to him. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Squid shows up. <laughs> Squid shows up, unfortunately. We never get to learn much more about him. But, yeah, he they he turns her down. They start drunkenly stumbling away, and they find the gross trail of the thing from the meteorite, and it's mm -hmm. left the rock, and it's fleshy, and it's nasty, and, boy, they, it looks good. <laughs> they get some great of with that slime trail they get some great shots of just how stretchy that slime is like they have just like a slime trail on uh on on like their heels that goes like all the way before like going yeah. slack it's great it is awesome slime awesome job slime guy yeah <laughs> whoever was on slime duty you nailed it <laughs> Yeah, and I really like. Um, there's another fun little touch where the little stinger comes out and it rattles like a snake. And I was just yep. like, "That's such a fun little thing for this uh, this alien to do." But um, unfortunately, <laughs> they ignore that warning and it yep. shoots out and infects Grant. Shoots him right in the chest and takes over yep. his body and absorbs his mind. We get that pretty good, not like amazing, but I I liked it. We get like an X-ray shot sure. of the little wormy guy going right up into his brain. Yeah, it's and fun. It's fun. You could have done that a lot of ways. You could have gone with like the 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 scarabs from the mummy. Like that was what I was thinking. Like, yeah, where like yeah. you see it traveling up the skin. Yeah, um, this was fun. Like, yeah, they're like, nope. This is C this is CG time. It's just gonna go point right through his guts into his brain. It's kind of more visceral. Uh, Plus, way. ahead of its time. I mean, look at sure. Mortal Kombat and Sniper yeah. Elite. <laughs> yeah, dude, totally. That that was it. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> they saw Slither and they were like, "This is it, guys." <laughs> they were like, "We get it now." <laughs> um, well, we're gonna base a whole video game <laughs> genre off this one part of a 2006 horror comedy movie. Exactly. Exactly. I I, I don't see any timing issues there at all. <clears throat> no, it's always gonna be fun. <laughs> Um, and so he goes home. He, in quotes, goes home. Yeah. And mm -hmm. he finds Starla apologetic for last night. And yep. she seduces him slash the alien. Um, mm -hmm. But the next morning when she tells her friend, she mentions that he already seems different. This is one of my favorite things about infection movies is how long do they let that tension build before someone acts? Is it already going to be too late by the time anyone is like... Yes, like this is way out of the normal range of normal activity here. That's something that is interesting always in a zombie movie, in an infection movie. I like that stuff. I, I think it's great that uh, Elizabeth Banks is just like, or Starla is just like, you know, he, he, he was like a different person. And like, she's so happy that like, she thinks, she thinks she's turning a corner. Like, it's so... It's tragic. It, it, it's so tragic and like i think we've all had a conversation with a friend who thinks they're turning a corner with a with a with a romantic interest and you're like i'm gonna hear a bad story <laughs> yeah <laughs> a well few weeks from now that i mean in addition to that 
there's that element of the shift in the power dynamic, at least from mm. her perspective, because she talks about how he's exploring her body, and it's like he's a little boy because he's just discovering it all. And yeah, and and she's like, he was crying, and I'm like, he's crying because blood was coming out of his eyes yeah. earlier. <laughs> but like, but like the fact, but like the fact she's like, he was crying, is like that tells us so much about both his character and their marriage. That's yeah. like, oh shit, like. Yeah. This is absolutely. It cuts to the supermarket, which mm-hmm. he's excitedly buying a literal truckload of meat. This scene is so this I think is one of the highlights of the movie for me. It, this scene is so funny as he just makes the order larger and larger and larger. I love I love the decision just being like, "Yep, the aliens obsessed with meat." Yeah. And and we're like, "Okay, that's kind of got a middle America sort of vibe to it like a, a little little punch down at america like you guys like meat too much kind of thing he's like no this guy <laughs> likes meat he sure does and they're all, i mean they're in a hunting town and everything too so that's yeah. sort of uh wholesale wholesale butchery is certainly yep. on display um <laughs> but he it's a great scene he makes the order larger and he returns home and he puts a lock on the on the basement door and he waves it off as part of a birthday surprise when starla asks him about it and she's like birthday's not for two months yeah. <laughs> which is another uh funny little bit but the alien is now in full control of grant's body and so he starts to like rot from the inside out his flesh starts to rot and he's growing tentacles and it looks like he's gonna kill starla in yeah. this uh, this scene where she's in the shower, and we see that there seems to be a piece of him that still loves her, so he hurriedly like shoves his tentacles back in his shirt, which also really yep. made me laugh. <laughs> yep, it's, yeah, it's like he it's like he's hiding his dick. Like the the two like that was like probably some of the most like egregious CG we saw. Like the, yeah. the two tentacles coming out of the shirt just in that one scene. It's true, but. I, the scene is still good, yeah. uh, and it, it's like we're so convinced that this is just an alien replacement. This is our first kind of hint that maybe Grant Grant is still in there a little bit. Yeah, and he rushes out of the door instead of killing her, and he instead of going to the town celebration of the the kickoff of deer season yeah. um, with Starla, which I think was called Deer Cheer. <laughs> Deer Cheer, yes. Deer Cheer 2005. Yeah, hell yeah. And Grant goes to abduct Brenda, the woman who was in the woods with him, while Bill flirts awkwardly with Starla. And we we get some more reinforcement of the fact that he's had a thing for her for a long time. Yep. And we also see that Brenda is watching the Toxic Avenger, which is, of course, the flagship trauma property. So Mm -hmm. nice little homage there. Grant infects Brenda with some more alien eggs, and when Starla comes home, she's freaked out by the fucked-up alien in her house, because he's disgusting now. I think this is one of the best... I wasn't even thinking about it as a prosthetic or a costume or anything like that. I was just like, that guy is fucked up. Yeah, you're just like, Michael Rooker, what happened to you, dude? (laughs) (laughs) He says it's a bee sting, which is another... (laughs) Yeah, that that also comes back into play later when uh, he's yeah. like, "Oh, poison ivy, maybe." <laughs> like, yep, <laughs> it's so funny. It, it's good. it's a good bit because it's so clearly not a bee sting. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
she she is freaked out and she calls the doctor to check on this story and she finds out that it's baloney mm-hmm. and she's also approached by uh, uh, sorry the doctor voiced by rob zombie oh wow there yeah. you go there he is good job rob Great, great job, Robert. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she it's it's bullshit. She's approached by the cops about Brenda missing. And this is when we sort of see what's been going on with Brenda, which, you know, the first time I watched this, I was like, oh, she's just dead. I didn't realize that he was like putting eggs into her with that thing. I thought it was just some like life essence suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, is she is this what he does to the meat? Like, we don't know. Right. Like, at this point, the whole like transformation alien love scene Brenda man mm. feels so bad for Brenda <laughs> Brenda does not get it well the Brenda's suffering is not over as no we no she she's chained up in the basement and she's yep. eating the meat of the neighborhood dogs that he's been killing we sort of glossed over it but earlier there was a shot of like a a city billboard not a billboard but like one of the little message boards oh, yeah. just full of missing posters for dogs um, and, and there's a scene of Grant just running after the cutest little dog you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and sh- sh- when she finally breaks open the lock, Starla, to find, like, to enter the basement, she mm-hmm. she enters, it stanks, and it's all tarped up, and yep. she turns on the light, and she finds more dead animals than friggin' Pet cemetery. Yeah, we got the first, we got the first, like, jump scare, jump scare of the... Of of the show, I think uh, of the movie. I think there are, there are a couple jump scares, and I, I'm not huge into them. Right. Um, most of them feel a little cheap. There's one coming up later though that I'll point out that I thought was the 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 pinnacle of jump scare. Yeah, the best way to do it. That's but, the thing is that when you can pull off an earned jump scare, it's yeah. so satisfying. It feels so good because there are so many cheap bullshit jump scares where it's so much more just surprise than actual fright so she calls the cops obviously Mm -hmm. as you would um but grant arrives even more disfigured and he attacks her with this gross fleshy tentacle arm (laughs) he's like wobbling around and when it like snakes around her neck to like try and choke her out. It's it's not the best CGI, but like I was able to be like, wow, that is horrendous. Of like just the idea of it is, yeah, is really it, awful. It it helps that like it is um, it's quick. Like yeah. one, it's it's if if bad CGI, the le- the least that bad CGI can do is be quick, and <laughs> it it is in that scene, but it's really effective and we get much more like tentacle like shit happening later mm-hmm. on um but like at first it's just sort of like a gross domestic dispute kind of fight where like he's like got her head in an arm lock and he's like choking her out and that's what the cops arrive to see yeah um, and they grant flees when the police arrive back and this mm-hmm. is when we get that time jump of three days later where mm-hmm. Where like, um, okay, now they know there's this alien flesh beast on the loose. Yes. There's like a squid beanie baby yeah. on top of uh, Bill's desk. Like yep. the the mayor, who's this odious, uh, loud asshole of a guy, yeah. is is all up in, is all up in their business because he wants the glory of taking down this what what they're just like calling like a, a essentially a cattle rustler and a and a. Uh, a wife beater like they're not they 
all four cops saw a tentacle. Like, they all saw a monster. Yeah. They're already so blasé about it that they're like, okay, well. Yeah, they're, it, it's been long enough that they're like, uh, it was dark. Maybe we were seeing things a little exaggerated. Like, they're trying to, yeah. like, convince themselves, I think, as much uh, that it, it doesn't actually exist because otherwise, the, I mean, the consequence of accepting what you've seen is yeah. part and parcel of cosmic horror in terms of, like, people going mm-hmm. insane when they see these hp lovecraft monsters because you just can't accept that you've seen this thing yeah and uh i think that this is sort of like a nod to that in the in that they're like uh nope i just we did that wasn't it i didn't see a squid monster (laughs) yeah they 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 want to be like ah maybe it was a bee sting exactly and like this this is where the movie like really picks up for me yeah i i just like this brief little segment right here where we're, we're kind of the needle the needle has been trending like steady like steadier and steadier into horror and then we have this nice little refresher where it's almost <laughs> like buffy the vampire slayer like it's it's almost this more like jovial monster hunter sort of thing like yeah. they're passing out the big goddamn guns <laughs> and there's a grenade that we know we're gonna see later yep and we're like this is great. This the worst thing that we're going to see in this movie is going to be a bee sting guy <laughs> tentacle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just a weird allergic reaction. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is also the scene where uh, Lloyd Kaufman makes a cameo as sad drunk in the police station. <laughs> so he's uh, uh, the founder of Troma for people out there who don't know. Oh. Also, also a scene where Pam from the Office is there. Um, sure is. I, I forget her name, but she was married to James Gunn. She is uh, she is Shelby in this movie, and yes, yeah, she was married to Gunn at the time. She wasn't originally part of the cast, mm-hmm. but the actor who had her role of Shelby wanted to be let go because he had like a pilot offer, and so yeah. Gunn he was like, "I don't want to have someone who doesn't want to be here forced sure. to be here," and so uh, he let him go, and he put Fisher in. He changed the gender, and he gave it a few more lines. And uh, by the time that this movie came out, The Office yeah. was big. <laughs> and so she was the one who wound up going on The Tonight Show to promote this movie because she has this tiny little role. But, you know, they were like, screw it. The Office is everywhere. And she's Pam. So might and, as well. And Nathan, and Nathan Fillion takes a big sip of whiskey and says, <laughs> maybe I should have a sitcom, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's true and, uh, and, so, and, then and so that's castle how castle happened. started yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so they're, they're like all right we're gonna we've been still finding these animal corpses and everything we're gonna assemble this posse to try and get ahead of grant by following the pattern that he's been creating and we're gonna stake out one of the local farms and that yep. night sure enough grant rolls through looking worse than ever and this is the moment that we were talking about where he slithers across the field and it's this practical puppet and he, it looks great. It's this giant monstrosity. It's as much as we've already been like, Oh wow. He's really degraded a lot in the scene that we just, just saw in prior this three day jump. He's like friggin' job of the hut up in here. Yeah. He is, (laughs) he is all, uh, he is all goo and slime. And some of his face is kind of peeking out over like, like a fleshy ghost of, yeah. of uh, slime and, and hair. And it's 
great. It's so great. Yeah, and uh, he rolls up and he says, Kuna Tucha Solo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's 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 fantastic. I'm I'm down for Hut. I'm down for Grant the Hut. Um especially when he cuts a friggin' dude in half. Yeah. Like hot dog style. Oh, man. style. Boy, that scene is really <laughs> It's something. I uh, so yeah. So he kills this cow first, and Starla yep. approaches him to like appeal to come over peacefully. And it seems like maybe he might be considering it, but one of the posse threatens him almost yeah. immediately, and he says, "Just, just some redneck with a deagle. Yep. Just some redneck with a desert eagle is there. I guess he's just here to hunt a monster." Hell yeah. He, he pays the price. <laughs> well, he gets off easier than other people do. I guess. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I mean, he, like you say, does uh, come apart hot dog style, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's at least quick, I guess. It's, it's intense though. They do it almost paper cut style where like, it's, it's like a big, like anime style, like big flashy tentacle swipe. And at first you think nothing's happened. And then like a little like paper cut sort of line appears across his face and it goes into like full on like <laughs> gross cartoony his eyes cross his yeah. whole body splits apart like a like a hot dog bun and all his uh guts fall out with like a satisfying thump yeah i wasn't even paying attention to how much was cg and how much pr- was practical for that i was just having fun yeah <laughs> who says <laughs> no to that <laughs> i was like ew well done <laughs> It is gross. It really is gross. And the fact that you do get that slow, like that, I mean, it's slow considering, but Mm -hmm. the slow reveal of him actually being dead, I I think is, is a lot of fun. Yeah. They really thought it through. Like you can't, you can't say they tossed that one off. I think that was, that might've been the most expensive shot in, in the, in the movie. That seems probable to me. (laughs) Um, Although maybe some of the like giant slug fists, but who knows? Yeah. He, Grant slithers back off. Like you say, it's super fast. Yeah. Very creepy. And they follow him back to his hideout, and they do rock, paper, scissors to determine who goes in first, which really made me laugh as well. I thought that was <laughs> and really his part, funny. And his part yeah. cheats, which is the funniest part. So blatantly, yeah. It's like yeah. the slowest change from uh, rock to scissors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. Um, and it's such a great contrast because you get this great moment of levity and then they walk inside and find Brenda looking like goddamn Violet Beauregard. Just yeah, disgusting. That was, that was so, that was so heckin' gross. Like, and it's, it's the kind of like, it, it's the kind of like gross shot that they could have done way bloodier and, and like, and goopier and stuff but it's almost like clean like her yeah. her all her hair all her hair is like hanging over her head but her skin is stretched taut like a beach ball yeah it's wild how we've seen like blood and slime and a dude cut in half and yet it's these long shots on just a stretched out woman's Ugh. face that's talking to you on like a 16 foot beach ball <laughs> is it's unsettling. It's a it's a new and different kind of gross, which is I guess I guess I I, I guess I'm coming around to actually admiring this movie a little <laughs> bit 
<laughs> because we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> there are new and different kinds of gross things happening, and a, a, another one is about to happen. Yeah, I think that this this scene really does sort of blend a lot of those different sort of visceral gross outs that they use. Because first of all, Brenda is begging to be fed a dead possum, which this. <laughs> She's like, she's like, it's tearing me apart. Like, it hurts so bad. I'm so hungry. Like, that is freaky to me to start with. Yes. This, like, desperation that she is clearly feeling. And that's on top of the fact that she's bloated and stretched out. And then, yeah, the, the fact that she's, like, in what looks like such physical pain. And the only thing she's saying empty. is, yeah, I'm really hungry. Like, I could, I, I could really eat. Like, she's not, like... It, it's almost like she's she's suffering because she's hungry, but she's not really suffering is the weirdest, like, creepiest part. The right. fact that this scene is done so clean yeah. that it's... I think that's probably the best use of treading the line between horror and comedy. Because this is an uncanny scene where you don't know how you're supposed to feel. Yeah. And... Well, not until she yeah. starts to tear apart at the seams in this... <laughs> truly horrendous to watch moment as she her guts just open at the sides and these slugs fall out and start just infecting everyone there it is a hell of a scene it is straight from a nightmare and the the slug tsunami is so gross and so like built up with like the smell and this whole uncanny I don't know how I'm supposed to feel scene and then you suddenly know how you're supposed to feel <laughs> and it's oh fuck yeah. this is the worst Slugnami is, is coming in hot and uh, <laughs> it's not good <laughs> it's like they start to head for town as this these slugs start to infect everyone and like we fo- yeah. we follow like the camera starts moving into town as well and we see the sort of effects of it and mm. With the first thing we see is this mother telling her two daughters to go to bed as the larva swarm, and the kids are reading Goosebumps. Goosebumps. <laughs> Holy shit, I saw that. They're both reading Goosebumps. Uh, somebody posted what books they're reading online, I forgot, but I don't think they've been covered by Goosebuds yet. The, um, the, I couldn't tell what the far one was, but the close one was the girl who cried monster, and I was like, look at that, full yeah. circle. <laughs> I was I was so happy that I had un- unconsciously incorporated goosebumps <laughs> uh, or goosebumps both either of them into this. Sure, I was like right on. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think this definitely owes not that if you if you listen to the the goosebuds podcast, you'll know that none of us have a particularly high opinion of um, <laughs> old RL, <laughs> o- old RL. But he is a starting point, you know. And it's cool that it, it's almost like it's almost a, a flex by James Gunn that he's so hip to the horror genre he knows exactly the least cool thing to put in it, <laughs> which is exactly. which is a goosebumps book. Absolutely, I mean, as you guys talk about so much on the show, it, it, there's so little of the payoffs in the Goosebumps books are actual payoffs. <laughs> yes. That, it's funny that it does have such a hold on sort of the young minds of that generation and is really responsible for getting a ton of people into horror despite having so little actual horror in it. So I think I think Goose 
bumps as a as a book series really hijacks childlike imagination and uh just leans on that for most of <laughs> it's scary because speaking as someone who was a wussy kid uh you a, ch- a child's mind can make anything wonderful and it can make anything horrifying definitely yeah i mean yeah same thing where i I was a coward. I was able to make it through some Goosebumps books as a kid. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if I could do it, anyone could do it. Yeah, yeah. So we see those two kids. They're reading their Goosebumps. And Kylie Stratemeyer, who is the older sister to these two kids, mm-hmm. she gets in the tub. And it's very Nightmare on Elm Street as this mm-hmm. slug hops into the tub and starts swimming up towards her. Looks a lot like Freddy with the claw coming up through the tub. Just a nice homage. The slugs squeak like rats, Ugh. which is which is another like sort of thing where you're like, oh. It reminds you that they're babies, and it reminds you, like, it, 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 it like adds to the whole swarm thing. Yeah. It's just... Oh, everything about them is gross, and the the they use a practical one as it's swimming through the water. Most of the time, they're CG. Yeah, it, it's disgusting, and it's it, it's made even worse because it gets into her mouth. Yeah, like <laughs> you, it gets in. It, it's part way. She's like pulling on it to try and get it out, and we get a peek into the hive mind, mm. led by Grant, who wants to consume all life, but also love his wife. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like, you get a view onto a different planet. Like, you get a view onto like Dog Planet or something yeah. like that. Whatever, whatever. Like uh, other CG characters they had lying around <laughs> at, at the studio. They're like, okay, it's a it's a Dog Planet. Looks like Mars. <laughs> uh, it's like, oh, this thing consumes worlds, and it just hitches a ride to the next planet when it's done consuming an entire planet. There you like, go. You, I mean, bingo, bango, bango. Aren't even special. Yeah, <laughs> and. The larva winds up getting everyone in town, except mm-hmm. Starla, Bill, Mayor, Jack McCready, and Kylie, mm-hmm. who's the girl that we were just talking about. There's an awesome scene where the first body we see reanimated by these slugs is during the scene where Starla is getting more water to treat the unconscious cops that she's with. Yeah. And she's facing towards us, and she's pumping water, and... She's looking at her wedding ring, which is like her connection to Grant. And I I was like so captivated by that moment of looking at her, looking at the ring, focusing in on the ring because it's so small on the screen. And then behind her, the zombie sits up. Yeah. And that's a good jump scare. That is good misdirection. It's not a it's not like a sharp cut. It's not even a loud sound. Yeah. Although I think there might be a, a musical sting there. It's but, not it's not nearly as egregious as many, many are. <laughs> yeah. And and it fucking got me. It made me jump. It's good. That was that was a really good jump scare because I didn't see it coming, but it was set up very well. Yeah. Exactly. It uses the framing of the shot to kind of allow that to happen it's not like you say just something being yeah. loud or jumping out out of nowhere it's it's already on the screen it's just the action that's the scary part so yeah and this turns into a really awesome scene as well like that i mean that's mm. just the, the kickoff because grant still loves his wife like we said and and he starts yep. talking to her using the dead cops as puppets it's so creepy it's It's really creepy creepy. it's it's disgusting too and it's also like i said this is one of the moments where i feel genuine pity for him where 
he he says like i didn't want to do any of that stuff like there's the piece of grant that's still in there (laughs) feels so shoved to the side and again there this is that sort of power dynamic at play where grant was this strong character in the framing of the relationship that he had with starla but the minute that that power is taken away from him we see that he is this sad scared little person Mm -hmm. um and uh, you know it's again it's not that doesn't excuse his action but it does sort of allow you to get a little bit of a glimpse into perhaps why he acts this way yeah i I don't know if i ever felt bad for him but i think the fact that we he can have this character depth and still be this like horror movie monster is actually kind of uh it's kind of maybe not revolutionary but it's really interesting definitely uh you don't you don't really get like a like an alien the thing style monster that you're like oh man well maybe if he had a kid he'd be (laughs) it's it's like an interesting mirror image of vincent d'onofrio in men in black it feels like Mm. where he is this i mean he's also infected by an alien and he he becomes more violent and everything but he he also like you see his relationships deteriorate because of it Mm. and sort of having this mirror image where the relationship sort of becomes polished to the point where that's the only thing that he has to hold on to anymore um it is interesting i i think that um it's not something that's explored a lot in horror is you know because so much of background for like especially slashers in particular winds up defanging the the sort of big bad of whatever your franchise is but in this getting this background helps to strengthen the deterioration that we've already seen and that is what makes it interesting Um, totally and and i think this also sort of leads into the guillermo del toro school of the you know the cop is the monster and the the monster is the love interest sort of inversion yeah. where like this is we're sort of sowing the seeds of uh, getting real postmodern with our with our monster flicks hell yeah uh, this this monster is still through and through a monster he's gonna get blown up monstrous it's gonna be great <laughs> yeah he is monstrous and he's and he's gross and he's tentacled mm-hmm. uh, and I don't think. And I don't think anyone should date him. No, no happy <laughs> ending for his... uh, for Grant. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but he, in spite of his pleas, um, Starla and Mayor Jack kill one of the hive, and they run off. As mm. Billy saves Kylie from her attacking family, and then gets her, Jack, and Starla into the police car. As the horde grows larger and pursues, calling out for Starla again, like you said, this moment is super creepy of having them all with one voice, chick like call out Starla. It's all faces yeah. that she knows, and they, they all have her husband's voice. Really unsettling. I, I think that like is a transcendent le- level of scare. Like it, it is, it is a it is a nightmare. It is a un, an inexplicable like everyone knows my name. They all have my uh, shit, like shitbag uh, husband's memories, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, it's it's so revealing and weird and uncomfortable. Well done, I love that part. Good job, James. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Jimmy. You did it. 
Um, and so Bill asks Shelby at the she's the dispatcher to mm-hmm. get him in touch with the CDC before she's attacked mm-hmm. by more slugs. So yep. rip to Jenna Fisher. That's the end yep. for her. She um, gets two great scenes. Yeah. <laughs> she's gone. And uh, there are some amusing squabbles in the car, but as Kylie tells them about the alien and the hive mind, they're ambushed by this truck that T-bones them. And mm-hmm. um, I thought it was really funny when Bill wakes up and there's this big Jesus saves sign that Mish yep. is bashing in his head by, like, the smallest of margins. <laughs> um, it's great. It's, it's good. a good scene. and It's good. Um this was actually shot across the street from a biker bar. And yes, they yeah, were this not was happy. difficult for them to do. Yeah, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't like. They, they, they didn't like the fact that they were told uh, that they couldn't cross a certain line. And I've, uh, you know, I, I recently started riding a motorcycle, a tiny one, um, and a Honda. And uh, I, I have a fair amount of Harley folks in my town who are more than happy to give me a piece of their mind whenever I'm taking up too much space on the road for them. (laughs) So I can totally, I can totally see a bunch of like drunk Harley guys having a party and hearing that and hearing someone say, can you please keep it down? And can you please just stay over on this side? That would not go very well. Yeah. Especially if you're like, I'm at a bar, like I'm here to, to get rowdy. So it's a, it's not an ideal situation for sure, but they did get a shot. It looks pretty good. Starla and Jack get carried off by the mob while Bill decides the plan is to use the grenade from the police station to kill Grant mm-hmm. and cut off the source. And mm-hmm. while getting the grenade, Kylie has to save Bill from an infected deer. Although, as he tells her when he tells the story, he's going <laughs> to invert that. Which, again, this is sort of a, a playful look at that power dynamic. But yeah. it's like, well, it's- she has, like, who's going to believe her? <laughs> it's such like a a shitty thing to do Mm -hmm. like it's such like a playfully shitty thing to do i won't i I won't say it's not funny yeah because it is kind of funny and i think it's it's said like a joke and it's a gentler sort of like i'm gonna take credit for this thing and yeah that that ends up becoming like an arc line at the end uh but like that yeah, let's just glance over the deer fight because that one is a little... <laughs> it's weird. Uh, it doesn't even really look like a deer. <laughs> no, it's like a weird dog. Yeah. It's from the dog planet. It's from dog planet. Wow. <laughs> it was never it a deer up. at all. Um, I will say also, just because I didn't mention it, that earlier we did see one of these slugs crawling on a deer. And so, yep. you know, it, that's it's why at least that's set up. Yeah. <laughs> that's why the deer... Well... It, it's also set up with um, with Bill uh, at the at the deer cheer being like, why? why who would want to kill a deer? That's the stupidest oh, yeah. thing. Oh yeah, and he, so it was. He, he's very critical of 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 hunter of hunting. He just doesn't get it. Yeah, uh, and the fact that everything is pointed to him killing the deer and then he doesn't is, <laughs> yeah. is another great little little inversion. Definitely, it's a. Uh, I, I will say James Gunn rewards people who pay attention, which is nice. Yeah. I, I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, and I think that that is a through line through a lot of his work. I don't think that that stops here. Um, you know, there, I mean, there, how many Easter eggs and stuff were in Guardians and everything? So he's definitely someone who is focused on details, which I think helps make his movies unique. And totally. Bill and Kylie head to Grant's home, where Jack and the others are being turned into incubators. <laughs> Which is, boy, that's gross. 
Yeah. So there's like it's the is it the vomit that turns you into an incubator? Because we got like we got like a scene where like they blast out this neon green vomit and then like there's a cool inflatable prosthetic. Yeah. On uh, on one of the cops that just like puffs out the, their neck and stuff. Oh, so gross. I don't know. So I don't know what the cause is, but it's a bad fate that I would not wish upon anyone. <laughs> yeah, and all of the like, some of them are turning into incubators, and some of them are just fusing into this very like, uh, like maybe not like maybe like Parasite Eve, like Final Fantasy Seven, like very, Silent Hill last monster. It's also very much like the shunting in society for people who are familiar with that one. So <laughs> the shunting, yes, sounds horrible. Let me <laughs> tell you okay. and everyone out there that you should go watch society without looking anything up about it don't look up a single thing about this movie and just go watch it because it is a trip and also one of the guys looks like knockoff sean astin and that's fun too so <laughs> i think i'm gonna have to level grind my horror movie uh it's, like I, I understand that i will but, say it's, it's more eerie that like i say there's a little bit of this body horror in it but that's fine I, so all right level up Get your yep. get get up to a higher level and then uh, yeah I'll get the I'll get the good gear and then and then I'll do and then I'll do the raid exactly yeah. exactly and uh, yeah people out there consider this a recommendation from your friend George so <laughs> and I I also really love in this scene where so Grant is keeping Starla uninfected in the hopes of getting her to love him again and I I laughed so hard when the song that's playing is you're every woman in the world to me. Where, because there is, there are no women left in this town. They are all Grant, and so she is every woman in the world to him. It's, it's so creepy and it's so fucked up. And like he has, he has like the Grant zombies like brushing her hair, oh. and, and like it's gross. And, and there's like massive quantities of photos of her and stuff. And, and, like you say, it really does feel sort of stalkerish, sort of obsessive. Mm. And when she turns the corner and you finally get this reveal of what he looks like, goodness gracious. And, and you know, he's sitting there like moaning, like you said for better or for worse, <laughs> bring me the bounty hunter. <laughs> And he's got like this chorus uh, that they like, keep cutting back to of like three uh, like moaning extras, yeah. just sort of like half consumed in flesh and like ba- and like backing him up. Right, because his like, mouth is like not functioning anymore. Yeah, it's they're the ones who are screaming with his voice, and it's it's bad. It's bad. I don't like it. It's very unsettling. <laughs> It's, it's great. Yes, which when I say it's bad, I should say no, I no. Mean, it is in fact very good because it's, yeah. it is so unsettling. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a butthole type. Yes, to, to be sure. <laughs> and Starla had sort of enact. She had put this plan into motion earlier when she wakes up, where she takes the like brush part of her brush mm. out of the brush, brush. Mm. Brush, brush, <laughs> brush, brush, and um, and then yeah, she has, uh, and then as everyone knows, the other side of the brush is a sharp stabbing oh, implement. Of, uh, you don't have a sharp stabbing brush, just in case. 
No, of course I do. I'm a, I'm a, a, a modern gentleman. Of course I have a, a sharp silver stabbing brush in case I, I have to tuck it into my skivvies and fight my husband. Hey, it's also silver, so that's good for werewolves. That Yeah, and you know, it is. Mo- it looks like a steak, so you got vampires covered too. Yep, I would not want to be stabbed by that thing. It is gnarly and it is it is heavy, which I like. Yeah, uh, yeah, that it, is that good horror movie stabbing implement. <laughs> and she she's acting like she wants to be with Grant again, and she uses this to get in close to him. And again, there's sort of this like desperate loneliness of Grant sort of mingling with the alien who also is like, ah, I eat everyone. There's just me. Like, that's sad. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, alien, I guess. <laughs> like, um, yeah, sure. But <laughs> sure, why not? Yeah, yeah, why not? But uh, she gets in close and she stabs the alien and she does hurt him, but she gets slapped away and tossed around the room a little bit. Yeah. Bill is entering as well. He euthanizes Jack at his own request, which is so, so quick. Ugh. Just like, just like, not another thought. Yeah. Just like he's like, kill me. It's like, okay, pop. It's <laughs> <laughs> he moves on. It's funny because I mean they've spent a lot of time establishing this mayor as an asshole. You you don't feel bad. You understand why he kills him so quick. But this, the, even in that moment, the setup is so like kind of drawn out where he like crawls over and he's like, please kill me. And then, yeah, yeah he's just like, all right, blah, blah. But before you see him like go to town on some human flesh, like yeah. it's, uh, fu- like it's fucking birthday cake. Yeah. And, uh, you know, by the time he crawls upstairs and says, kill me, it's such a combination of this guy sucks. His condition is nothing you would want a living thing to have. Yeah. And that, like, it, it's great that it's great that they don't milk it. They're just like, nope, bam, yeah. That you make a compelling point, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, Bill gets in there. He tries to use the grenade, and like we said, this is it's knocked away. He scrambles yep. to grab it again. He lifts it triumphantly. It's this great yep. moment, and then it gets knocked away into the pool where it detonates yep. completely harmlessly. Yeah, there's a there's an awesome little detail in between that where the pin is off the grenade, and they spend way too long yeah. scrambling around <laughs> trying to get the pinless grenade back. Like, okay, now we're going to throw it for real. And then it gets knocked <laughs> away again, and then you're like, well, maybe they can get it from the pool, and then... Nope. <laughs> Certainly not. No. Yeah, it's just this nice little little water explosion. And Grant is like, all right, I got the upper hand here. He traps Kylie under a couch. He gets Bill with yep. one of the tentacles, starts pumping those eggs into him. But Bill manages to attach the other tentacle to a propane tank. And <laughs> now filled with flammable gas, Grant is shot by Starla. And he explodes all over the room. And it, like you say, it's not the best CGI, but you know you're you're in the heat of the moment, and yeah. things are exploding, and who cares? And all who the cares? zombies yeah. are dropping outside. Hooray! <laughs> and everyone else in Wheelsy is dead, and so the three survivors just head off into a beautiful day to seek help with no sign of the night's troubles besides the corpses littering around them. They're really sort of like being like look at this serene peaceful day after that horrible horrible night and you know you just see all these corpses around and it's a it's just dotted with corpses and the three of them are just trudging like walking to the nearest hospital because that's the next logical step yeah 
Credit credits roll. Credits roll. Uh, Unfortunately for everyone in this world, in the post credit scene, a cat approaches Grant's remains and gets shot by the little alien. And uh, hey, that's a sequel, baby. <laughs> that is like that little end piece raises a lot of questions about what that sequel would be. Yeah. Is it a giant alien cat? We can dream. I think I'm down. Yeah. I think I'm down for giant alien cat movie. I also think it's hilarious how they use that little rattlesnake portion basically as a cat toy. Yeah. Like they cover they cover like a prosthetic brain and some like fancy feast gravy <laughs> and the cat sort of wanders up to it. And then they have like the little alien tail wiggle out from the brain and the cat's like, ooh, playtime. Perfect. And then they just cut and play a cut <laughs> and play a stock cat sound effect. And I'm like, all right, not spooky, but kind of cute. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I like you say, I would also be down for a giant alien cat movie. So Slither 2, give us that, Slither James Gunn. <laughs> Slither 2, big cat. Yeah. Title, done. We're doing half done. the work for you, James. <laughs> and now, Kevin, we've reached okay. the challenging part where okay. we have to tell people why this is the best horror movie ever made. And all it has to do is meet that criteria for you. It doesn't need to be for every horror fan out there. So if you like certain elements of it being ahead of its time or whatever, use whatever you want to make this argument. Okay. Slither 2... Or sorry, not Slither 2. <laughs> Slither 1. I'm still thinking about that cat. Oh, right. yeah. <clears throat> Slither is the best horror movie ever made because it is, in fact, many horror movies. Uh, some might say it's a little spotty or a little derivative, but I can clearly look at any one of these scenes in or out of context and see a level of care put into each of them. Nothing is done in a wasteful fashion. Every scene has a purpose, whether it's to laud a piece of horror movie history, whether it's to uh, deepen a character, or whether it's to move the plot forward, which the plot does clip in this movie. It's only 95 minutes. Yeah, it never feels feels slow or bogged down. This would all be fine if, uh, if, you know, Slither was a purely derivative love letter of a movie, but the fact that James Gunn chooses several key points to invert our expectations and give us something that we we didn't know we wanted. Uh, I think a, a great example is the grenade being set up, them going through great pains to get the grenade, and then having the grenade slapped out of Bill's hand. That is not only great horror, that is also great comedy. Yeah. And it's in these scenes where, uh, you know, the synthesis between horror and comedy are found, that's where Slither is the strongest and I believe that's why I would posit that it could be the greatest horror movie ever. <laughs> I totally agree, Kevin. To me, this is the best horror movie ever made because I think that for so many of us, it feels like a horror movie that we would want to make. If we mm. got one opportunity, I would I would go and look through my collection and be like, oh, I want to make sure that I pay homage to this scene from the thing. And, oh, I love Candyman, so I want to include this. And Hellraiser, get in here, too. Like you say, it feels like a fan movie because it is a fan movie. It's James Gunn is so 
passionate about the shoulders of these giants that he's standing on. He's so cognizant of the fact that he is standing on these shoulders that he is making sure to pay homage to them while also making sure that it doesn't feel like it's just a repeat of it. There are elements of it that repeat because that is the case for a lot of horror. But there are, in each of these scenes, there is also, I think, a piece that is uniquely James Gunn. Whether that is his commentary about, you know, this this power dynamic or whatever, or it's this unique synthesis of comedy and horror and using those to balance each other out. James Gunn, his fingerprints are all over this, despite the fact that the DNA comes from other people. And to me, the fact that it feels so relatable in terms of, in my mind's eye, what I think I would create as a horror fan, especially a horror fan who also has an affinity for these uh, low-budget B-schlock movies, Mm. that is what makes this the best horror movie ever made to me. (laughs) Kevin, (laughs) I want to thank you so much for coming on, man. This was an absolute blast, and I really want to encourage people to follow you and everything, so please tell them where they can and where they can support you by buying your delightful games. Thanks so much. And thank you for having me on. Uh, this was super fun to do. Uh, I am Kevin Cole. You can hear the things I tweet on twitter.com. Uh, my handle is at real Kevin Cole. Um, I make video games and I've been making a, uh, a jam style video game every month this year. I'll be releasing my ninth game this month got like a week left to go uh but my my october game will be a horror game very cool so if if you guys are interested in that and you're listening in at some point past october 2020 <laughs> uh ch- check me out uh, i put all my games on supertrystudios.com or supertry.itch.io they go they both go to the same place if you like my if you like my voice uh i'm on a podcast called pretend friends which is a real play tabletop rpg podcast where we play a game i invented called space kings i edit for another lovely podcast called Goosebuds, where three of my friends review Goosebumps books as uh, 30-year-old writers. And I think that's I think that's all my things. I also have a Patreon, so if somehow you have gone to all of these things and you're, the thought in your brain is, this guy could could use money. Um, <laughs> Couldn't we all? Uh, you, can give, you can give me that money that's burning a hole in your wallet, and I would really appreciate it. At the very least, check out my Patreon. You can find it. Uh, it's at givekevinmoney.com. <laughs> I bought the URL because I knew I would be on a podcast or two. There and it's go. just easier to say givekevinmoney.com. Hey, straight to the point. I love it. And I <laughs> certainly encourage people to give Kevin money. Dot com because uh, I mean I see you putting so much work into these games out there and and they look so great and they're so clearly passion projects from you that people should support independent art like that and uh, I I love it and I love what you do and I also love Goosebuds and I was even on it so if people want an episode to check out you could go check out the George episode of that 
And I think that would be a great introduction. Agreed. I, lo- I loved editing that one. That was a really funny episode. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and, um, as far as my plugs, you can find me on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. You can find me on Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash LittleHorrorPHL. Heck, you could pretty much find me all over the gosh darn place at LittleHorrorPHL. That includes LittleHorrorPHL.com, the website where you could find pretty much everything, including merch and the RSS feed. And uh, whatever you want. And uh, if you do decide to support the Patreon, there are bonus features, including extra episodes and ad-free episodes and even early episodes. And heck, we might be sending out stickers to patrons, too. So keep an eye on that. Um, That's pretty much it for me. Oh, leave a rating and a review. No one does that, but I got to say it. (laughs) It helps. Do it. And they're fun to to write and they're fun to read. Yeah. It makes me feel so nice when I see those reviews and people are like, hey, we like the show. So don't you want to make me feel nice, everyone out there? Hey, as as, uh, content creators on the internet, we know when someone doesn't like our show. (laughs) Yes, we definitely hear about it. Um, So if you want to counter that, please... Um, that's it for me. Kevin, thanks again, man. This is great. And uh, to everyone out there, bye. Bye.